Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. Everybody, welcome to The Chapel Online. Just so you know, today it might be a little bit different than what you're used to um, as we preach through this passage. It is going to be very difficult and tough and kind of revealing um, for the Christian listening to this. But if you're watching or listening either today or maybe years later, I do want you to know if you're not a follower of Jesus, today is really for you. Not necessarily that I'm going to be talking to you, but you're going to see things that have been done to you, maybe have pushed you away from the church. Jesus is going to address it head on. He's not going to pat the Christian on the back and say, good job. He's actually going to say, woe to you for hurting those around you. And really that we have kept from coming to Jesus. So if you've been hurt by the church, if you've been wounded by a pastor, if you've been like really just kind of done with religion, today is for you because I really, really want you to key in, not because Christians are going to get their teeth kicked in, but really because we're going to see who Jesus is and how he feels about you. So just want to let you know where we're going today. Now, we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke. We started in Christmas of last year of 2021, and we're going all the way to Easter of this year. And the question is, why are we doing that? We really want you to encounter the person and the work of Jesus. And when I say the Gospel of Luke, it's simply a letter, really a biography written about Jesus by a guy named Luke. He was extremely detailed. This is a very historically accurate manuscript um, of Jesus's life. And Luke was actually a doctor. And he started off not as a follower of Jesus, almost as a skeptic. But as he began to research and ask questions about Jesus, he became willing to give up his life to follow him. And really through this series, we ultimately want you to see the real Jesus. Because if you do, your life will not be the same. And I really want to kind of bring today our attention to something that we've seen throughout this series um, so far. So it might be a review for some of you, but if you're new, it's really going to kind of bring you up to speed. We're going to see that really Jesus is drawn to the least of these, in, in quotes. He's drawn to the people who are really the scum of society, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, um, and, and other sinners. And we're going to see, even though he's drawn to them and they're drawn to him, his most fierce rebuke, his most fierce correction is really directed at the religious people. And that's kind of counterintuitive for us, but especially for the people in the first century, because Jesus was indeed a Jewish, religious rabbi, a, a religious teacher, religious leader. And the reason why he did this is because Jesus wasn't just about truth or interested in teaching or understanding truth. He indeed was and is truth personified. So he wanted to correct everything about religion that was wrong. And Jesus knew that anything besides just absolutely God, absolutely God-given truth is only deceptive, but really has the incredible power to destroy people's view of God and ultimately their souls, ultimately their eternity. And honestly, of, of all the things wrong with our world, God's false religion, fraudulent faith is the absolute worse. And, we're, and we'll get into that in just a minute of reason why. And we're going to see that's why there's such harsh and severe judgment and really punishment for it. Why Jesus is so against fraudulent faith. And we're going to see that this dangerous, false, fraudulent gospel that shows up in our passage today and also really begins to show up in our world today. And we're going to see it not just revealed um, in the scripture, but I pray he's going to reveal it in your heart as well. And again, just as a warning, Jesus is going to address it very strongly. I mentioned to Pastor Kevin this week that we should hand out mouthpieces at our on-site locations because it's going to be a punch in the face. But he corrected me and really said it isn't really a punch in the, a punch in the face, but more of a slap because it's humiliating. We, we've gotten it wrong and Jesus wants to correct us. And, and I do want to be clear. It's not always done on purpose. We're not always living a fraudulent faith on purpose, even though it can be at times. It's really can happen of us drifting into it, which is why Jesus, even though he addresses it harshly, he does it mercifully as well. So let's dive into Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 37. It says, When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee, who's a religious leader of the day, invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. Very similar to a passage we looked at in Luke chapter 7 a few weeks ago. 
But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. So we see once again that Jesus is invited over for a meal with the Pharisee, and that's how we're going to be ending the book of Luke is Jesus having meals with people. But we need to see again that Jesus is being watched. He has a, a very careful eye on him from the Pharisees, which is kind of par for the course of what we've seen so far in the book of Luke. <clears throat> Now, it doesn't seem to really be with ill intent or hostility at first. It's really they're watching him out of curiosity. But we do see that this Pharisee, this religious leader, is extremely surprised whenever Jesus doesn't wash up. And really, he's troubled that Jesus doesn't wash. And this washing wasn't required by the law, but really it was kind of this tacked-on suggestion to make sure if you're going to be sitting at a table, make sure you're clean. And by not washing, Jesus was really making a statement. He's saying, look, I have no interest in being in your burden-adding religious club. In fact, I'm here to correct it. And needless to say, the Pharisee was kind of uncomfortable in the situation, and Jesus knows it, which is when we're about to move into him not just knowing it, but really rebuking this Pharisee for what's in his heart. And for the record, this is where it begins to get serious. Look with me in verse 39. It says, Then the Lord said to him, Jesus said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Like, what strong words. Here we see Jesus use a very appropriate and timely metaphor because they're eating a meal. And I want you to think to the last time that you went over to someone's house for dinner, maybe you went out to eat, and of course you expect what you eat out of and drink out of to be clean, right? This past weekend, we, my wife and I had meals um, with a few people over at Kevin and Mary McKee's house. And one, I know Miss Mary's always clean and always has things awesome and her, her food is unbelievable. But I didn't just look at the plate expecting it to be dirty. And I assumed that it was clean. But even as I assumed it was clean, did I flip over the plate or bowl or cup to look on the bottom? No. Why? Because all I care about is where my food is, what my food's touching what is on the inside. And that's what truly matters, which is Jesus's point. And I brought my coffee mug that I drink of um, at my office all the time. And on the outside, you see it's, it's very clean. But I don't know if you can see it on camera. If you look on the inside, I left coffee in it last night, overnight, and it is actually a little bit disgusting. That's how Jesus is describing the Pharisees. That you want the outside of the dish, which really doesn't matter to be clean, but inside, it's nasty. In everyday language, this is really what Jesus is saying. He said, boys, here's the deal. Here's the problem. You clean the part of the plate, the bowl, the cup that no one eats or drinks from. That part that really doesn't matter. And all this symbolic, this religious cleaning is pointless. It's useless. It doesn't even touch what matters. It doesn't even mess with the inside, which in your case is full of greed. It's full of wickedness. It's absolutely disgusting. And here we see Jesus actually begin to reprimand religious leaders for hypocrisy. And I just said the H word in church. Jesus actually points out to the religious leaders how much hypocrisy is in their life. He's saying, guys, look, the outside is okay, but your inside is full of distortion. It's full of wickedness. It's full of greed. And the verbiage here that Jesus uses to, to deal with this wickedness, this sin, this greed, it reveals that this is actually the exact thing that the Pharisees, the religious people, the Jews would want to avoid, or at least should want to avoid. And Jesus really wants us to see something that, that we know to be true on the outside, but we don't necessarily live it out. It's what's on the inside that counts. You can change your outer appearance. You can change the rules. You can change the standards. You can change anything to look good. But what is on the inside is what really matters because what is on the inside is who you truly are. I want you to think about your body for just a second. Think about um, your health. Think about what's on the inside and then think about what's on the outside, your outer appearance. I want you to imagine, hopefully this isn't true for you, but imagine you're suffering from cancer or some other type of disease that is working on you on the inside. But then you wear really nice clothes or you, or you put on a lot of makeup to hide the sickness. Does that actually heal you or are you still sick and suffering? 
And this is the exact thing that Jesus wants us to see because this is how it works with our spiritual life. We honestly, we try to wear more spiritual makeup, um, possibly even more than physical makeup, to cover up all of our imperfections. But by just simply covering up on the outside, being clean on the outside, does nothing for our inside. A pastor and author, John MacArthur, says it this way, the more symbols, the more cleanliness, the more righteousness we try to proclaim, the more symbols, the less reality. The more symbols, the less reality. And guys, that should register with us. The more cover-up, the less authenticity, which is exactly what we see in the religious leaders Jesus is talking about. But what we see here isn't just that Jesus wants to point out what is on the, what is on the inside matters. He's actually going to point out what is on the inside of these religious leaders, what is truly in their soul. They desire for and they feed off of pride, lust, deception, corruption, evil, and greed. Jesus is looking at these religious leaders and saying, yeah, on the outside, beautiful, as beautiful as Pharisees can be. But he's saying, this is on the inside of you. Guys, evil, pride, lust, deception, greed, it's all on the inside of you. And in Matthew's account of, of this same interaction Jesus has, who's another gospel writer, he really even uses stronger language than Luke uses. He uses the, the Greek word harpog, which means to plunder, to pillage, and ultimately to rape. Jesus isn't accusing them of necessarily raping the people's bodies or, or raping their bank account by stealing from them, which, which could be part of it. And we've seen that with religious leaders in today's time. But ultimately, he's saying, you are plundering, you're pillaging, and you're raping their soul. Which shows, guys, fraudulent religion, fraudulent faith, plunders, pillages, and rapes people's souls. Jesus is telling the religious leaders, and I believe also many of us today, and you don't have to be a religious leader to, to become a Pharisee. Guys, he's saying, this is what's on the inside of you. And the squeakier clean that we are on the outside, when it really doesn't match the inside, the more damage you're going to do to those around you. Because symbolic means you're not being real. So, so I want to ask you, where are you when it comes to this? Do you wear religious makeup while having the, the cancerous sin within? When, when, you, when you get bumped or flipped or exposed, well, what's revealed on the inside of your cup? When, when no one is looking, what do you do? What are your inner thoughts that no one hears or sees or understands? What truly is your character? How, how do you live with integrity? Guys, it isn't just killing you from the, from the inside out. It's actually plundering and raping the souls of the people around you. What is inside truly, truly matters. Jesus continues in verse 40. He says, you foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? Now here we see Jesus embrace his inner Mr. T. I pity the fool. Or, or maybe Mr. T is just embracing his inner Jesus. I don't know. Uh, but he's saying, look, you absolute fools. And a pastor named Eugene Peterson, who wrote a paraphrase of Scripture called The Message, he actually wrote it this way, you stupid fools, you stupid Pharisees. And what Jesus is doing here is asking a rhetorical question. Didn't God make all of you? Didn't he make the outside and the inside? There is no separation. There is no separation of inside and outside. Appearance and substance are not mutually exclusive. My wife and I love to watch the Great British Baking Show or the Great British Bake Off, which is what it's called in Britain, but there's copyright issues here in America. Um, but on season four, you kind of see this come to fruition. There's a guy named Paul. He's one of the judges, old blue eyes. But there's a girl that actually wins season four. Her name is Fran. But for a while, Paul would accuse her of having style over substance. He was saying, look, your cakes are beautiful. Your desserts are beautiful. The things you're creating are beautiful. It has great style, but it has no substance. It doesn't necessarily taste great and it's much prettier on the outside than it is on the end. Now, granted, she was able to correct it and end up winning, but most of us live our life with some style, religious style, but absolutely zero substance. It means our, our public walk has to be equivalent and match and really flow out of 
our private walk with Christ. And that's actually a staff value for us here at the chapel. And guys, when our appearance doesn't match our substance, when the public doesn't match the private, this is hypocrisy in its purest form. And ultimately, it is unbelievably offensive and disrespectful to God, but possibly even more so, it is dangerous to the souls of others. And I know it's easy to point the fingers at the Pharisee and say, you stupid Pharisees. But I want to ask you a question. How, how foolish are you? How, how hypocritical are you? How disparaging is your inner life compared to your outer life? Does your public face and your public talk match your private heart and your private walk? Are you the same person no matter where you are, who you're with, or even if you're by yourself? How foolish are you? And I want to be very, very clear here, and I want you to key in and not miss this. Guys, God would rather you be bad. He would rather you be greedy, greedy and wicked and all that in both instances, both inside and out, than falsely and fraudulently clean outwardly and rotten and wicked on the inside. Because this is where true damage is done to those around you. They see this proclaimed cleanliness, but all they have flowing out of you is the wickedness. God would rather you be wicked and wicked than falsely good and wicked within. So I want to ask you, where are you? Where are you? Acting as a fool or do the inside and the outside match? And Jesus keeps going. He's going he's to just keep, keep pounding away. Look at verse 41. He says, but now as for what is inside of you, be generous to the poor and everything about you will be clean for you. Now, what, what Jesus is saying here isn't just go give money and you'll be fixed and you'll be fine. Not at all what he's saying. He's saying, look, pay attention to what's within. Pay attention to the motivation because generosity, guys, is a position of the heart, not an action of the hands. The action of the hands is actually an outflowing from our heart that manifests generosity with what we do. Jesus is saying, give your heart, give your soul, give yourself, then you will be clean. He's saying that we'll be clean starting on the inside and allowing it to flow to the outside. It's not washing and eventually getting down deep, it's starting down deep and letting it flow out. And this has been a common theme that we've seen for us through the Gospel of Luke, especially the past few weeks. The transformation comes from the inside out. The ministry of our hands cannot supersede the ministry done to and within our hearts. Jesus is saying, look, it's not just give money and you're fixed, but make sure your heart is set right. And not just will you give money, but if your heart is right, everything about you will be clean. Jesus continues in verse 42. He says, woe to you, Pharisees. Woe to you because you give God a tenth of your mint, your rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Now here Jesus really begins to nail down into specifics of what the Pharisees are doing wrong and gives us what we call woes. Now we don't hear woe a whole lot unless you're riding a horse in the 21st century. But a few weeks ago, we defined woes as this. It's a warning for something that is done here, that is done now, but eventually will have later, and in Jesus' case, eternal consequences. So Jesus isn't just pointing out wrong, but ultimately he's pronouncing judgment. And what is he pronouncing judgment about? He's not just reprimanding them because of their hypocrisy. He's reprimanding them because they're choosing the love of religion over the love of God and people. They're choosing the love of religion over the love of God and people. They're loving the secondary. They're loving the thing that comes after, before, and at the expense of the primary. They're loving the secondary at the expense of the primary. They've got the outward action down, and they can fake it. They've made it, all that kind of good stuff. They're, they're, they're doing the tithe, and we'll talk more about that later. They're very precise. They're very committed, and they would say, we are downright right. But they've missed the whole point. Guys, the, the tithe and outward action of giving back to the Lord should flow from a deeper place, a true love of God and people, not for recognition and religion. I mean, they've got the, the 10% down outwardly and symbolically. They have that tithe makeup on, but they have forgotten about the most important piece, something that 
God told them to write on their hearts to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And, and I want us to see, even though they have this spiritual makeup on the tithe, even though they're, good, they're boasting themselves up, guys, this, this cover-up, this tithe, it, it isn't even what was commanded. They were commanded to tithe things such as grain and oil and wine. Very, very good things are called to give that to the Lord, the first fruits. They're not called to give minute little things like herbs and condiments. And they're, they're giving mint and root. I don't, I don't know if you realize this, guys, but mint is a weed. It is an absolute weed. My wife Emily planted some in our yard a few years ago, and it's absolutely gone crazy. I weeded it, I round up it, and it keeps coming back. And by them tithing a weed, it's not sacrifice. It's not what God asked them for. It, this is once again showing this is a superficial, false, fraudulent faith and religion that these guys have. And Jesus is saying, yeah, when you tithe correctly, that, that's important. But you tithe correctly out of the correct position of your heart, a deep, abounding, and resounding love for God. And Jesus just keeps pushing on the gas. Look at verse 43. He says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogue and respectful greetings in the marketplace. And here we see the second part of this reprimand. Jesus is reprimanding them because they're choosing self over service. They're choosing to serve themselves over serving God and others. Now, these are the guys that are supposed to be leading out in this. They're supposed to be leading out in love for God, in humility, in service to others, in sacrifice. But what do they do? They reserve their special seat. They honor themselves. They want public recognition and fame. They have their own reserve parking spot, and you have permission to shoot me if I ever have my own reserve parking spot. They have their own special privileges. They have their own titles. I mean, they have all this for just themselves. And I do want to be clear. If you come to one of our on-site locations and you sit up front in church, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the seats that are up on the stage, the seats that have special honor and actually looking out towards the people. Now, I grew up in a, a certain tradition, a certain denomination, um, where there were always chairs on the stage where the preacher, where the pastor sat. And I, I'm, I'm never going to do that. I'm not judging the people to do, but I'm saying I will never do that because one, I would be visible to you while I'm singing, and that would in no way help your worship whatsoever. It might cause you to repent, but it's not going to help you worship. And number two, in my opinion, it's, it's extremely arrogant. And I think Jesus agrees with that by, by making his point here. Guys, re religious leaders, really false religious leaders, both back then and today, not just religious leaders, just Christians in general, we love status, we love attention, we love honor, we love respect, we love influence, and we love power. I don't know if you heard that we, but that includes me. It includes me because I, I really, I personally really, really struggle struggle here because I really find myself connecting with the Pharisees. I, I sometimes balk at the idea that, that I left a denomination world, that the tradition that I was in, and not because I was leaving all the rules, but because I was leaving the status that I had achieved in that denomination. I mean, I was known in that world. I was an invited guest speaker. I served on the state committee on committees, and you can probably figure out what denomination that I'm talking about just because of committee on committees. I was on that state committee on committees when I was just 25 years old. Like I'm balking at the idea because of the status that I, service of self that I had achieved. And guys, I really, I really struggle with that. And, and I struggle with the idea of, of leaving ministry. I struggle with the, the, with the fear of leaving ministry, not because I, I don't want to break from ministry because the Lord knows I want to break from ministry, but I struggle with this because I begin to realize I would lose influence. I would lose power. I would lose a crowd of speaking to hundreds of people a weekend. I would lose recognition. I would lose fame, you know, in, in the name of Jesus. And that's why I, I make steps like this to, to purposefully not use a title and to ask people not to use one towards me. Like, Jesus was Jesus and Paul was Paul. I don't need a title, so please don't call me reverend. Please don't call me brother. Please don't call me pastor. Please don't call me whatever. Just call me Andrew. Like, I, I don't have my name or my title 
on my door. My name will not and ever will be on the sign of our church. And I know this one might sound trivial except for the preachers in the room. I'm never going to put my name on my microphone. And I'm always going to refer to myself on staff because why? I don't want to swell my own head through self-honor. And I want to be very clear. I'm not tooting on here by these steps, but I'm doing these for a reason. Why? Because I, me, Andrew, have an extreme propensity towards choosing self. I want to be very clear. I'm admitting this publicly on the internet for the last however long we have the internet. I have an extreme propensity to choose self. Guys, I'm arrogant. I'm selfish. I'm a prideful person. And I have an extreme propensity to choose self. And so do you. And we'll talk more about that later. But guys, we never drift toward others. We never drift toward sacrifice. We never drift toward humility. We never drift toward service. We have to constantly choose it. We have to constantly put up guardrails. We have to constantly press into it because the only way we're actually going to see ourselves rightly is when we put ourselves and our sin up against Jesus. That's the reality check that pushes us to service of God and others instead of choosing self. Let's keep going. Verse 44. Jesus says, woe and again. He says, woe to you because you are like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing it. And this is, this is so crazy. Jesus is really, he's reprimanding them for this, that they're spreading death instead of spreading life. They're spreading death instead of spreading life. Now, this is a metaphor that we don't necessarily understand living in the 21st century compared to, to the first century. Now, back in this time, God would actually seek to keep his people, the Jews, his chosen people, the Hebrew people, away from dead bodies because even though mankind really didn't know about germs until recently, in the past hundred or so years, people could and would still catch diseases and they would die. So God made this law that if you saw a dead body or a grave, avoid it. But if you didn't see a dead body, if you didn't see a grave, you, you weren't able to avoid it and you most likely would end up catching a disease. You would end up caught up in death. Now what Jesus is saying by using this metaphor is this, that when people come in contact with you, Pharisees, when they come in contact with you, religious leaders, they're coming in contact with death. They're coming in contact with the grave and they don't even know it. You're spreading death or proclaiming life. And people are innocently and unknowingly seeking life, but becoming infected with death. You are plundering their soul, and they have no idea. You are raping their eternity, and they have no idea. And guys, I know Jesus is extremely harsh and, and kind of heavy-handed here, but it's so desperately needed because, guys, this is devastatingly destructive for eternity. And to some level, maybe small, maybe a whole lot, we are all Pharisees. There's a little bit of Pharisee in all of us. Now Jesus is about to, to shift, not moods whatsoever, but he's about to shift his target from the Pharisees to actually the experts of the law, teachers of the law. And it's going to be comical at first, but then he's going to get right back at it. Look at verse 45. It says, one of the experts in the law answered him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. <laughs> I love this part. There's this other group in the crowd, the experts in the law, the teachers, the scribes, probably some Sadducees. And they're saying, Jesus, look, I get that the Pharisees need some correction. I was talking to my wife about that last night. But, but Jesus, you're, you're hurting my feelings too. Because those things aren't true of us. And Jesus would say, hey boys, you better buckle up your seatbelt. Because he goes from just reprimanding to rebuking. Jesus is about to rebuke the experts, the experts and the teachers of the law for false teaching. He's about to rebuke them. Look at verse 46. Jesus replied, and you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens that they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. I love it. Woe to you too, experts. And what we see here in this woe is actually really a, a double whammy. Jesus is saying, woe to you for burdening others falsely, but also woe to you for not helping. Woe to you for putting it on them, but woe for you for not helping. And Jesus is rebuking them in this way, if you're taking notes, for loading people down with rules and regulations and then not helping them deal with it. 
the experts, the scribes, the teachers of the law, guys would constantly add things to God's original law, to God's original covenant and agreement with mankind. And there's some major issues with this. Number one, that's not of God. Not at all what God is coming at. Number two, it was really virtually impossible for people to follow all of these rules. And number three, it actually kept people from God. All the rules, all the religion kept people from a loving Heavenly Father. Because people couldn't even see this loving Heavenly Father because the experts and the scribe had portrayed Him as this demanding, demeaning dictator. And we actually see this show up after Jesus in Acts 15 when the Jews were demanding that the Gentiles, the Jewish people, God's people, and Gentiles, everybody else, the Jews were demanding the Gentiles also be circumcised. And if you don't know what that means, you can email Kevin at thechapelbr.com and he can explain it. But basically, the, the church leaders would say, stop making it hard for people to come to God. It's Jesus plus nothing. Stop adding things to it. And the thing is, the Pharisees and these experts, they weren't just making it hard to come to God. They weren't helping people follow it either. They weren't helping them bear the burden. I want you to, to think about it this way. Imagine that at our Segan location, which we have a new auditorium, and you're invited to come, come worship with us. It'd be awesome. Imagine that we made a secret passageway, a secret entryway into our church building. And then we taught that you had to be in that building. You had to be in that service if you're going to love God and for Him to love you. But then we never told you where the passageway was. We never told you where that secret entryway was. That's what the Pharisees are doing. They're putting this unbelievable burden but not giving help. And don't we do this too? Yeah, we do. Hey, behave like us. Hey, stop, stop doing that. It reminds me of my 19-month-old. No, no, no. Like, don't do that, but then start doing this. You, you got to believe like this but because I said so. You got to think politically like me because, of course, Jesus thinks politically like me. Guys, none of that is right to begin with, but even if it was, we, we would say this and then we would never help people do what we expect of them. Guys, we portray God as this militant, demanding dictator who is unreachable and unpleasable. And that couldn't be further from the truth. It can be further from the truth. Yes, we're called to disciple others and help them grow in the true gospel. Because when we help them grow in the true gospel, the true message of Jesus, it's relieving. It's light. It's inspiring and it's hope-giving, not crushing. We are guilty of being these experts in the law, of putting on rules and regulations that don't make sense, that are not of God, and they're not helping anyone follow them in the least. Look at verse 47 and verse 48. Jesus says, Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets and you build their tombs. We're going to keep going all the way to verse 51. Because of this, God in His wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and in the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Weighty, weighty, weighty. And what Jesus is doing here, he's rebuking them for this, for rejecting God's message and for rejecting God's messengers. Now, Jesus uses kind of some confusing and some allegorical verbiage here. Um, the current experts in the law of the first century Jesus is talking to didn't actually kill the prophets of olden days. Like they weren't even born then. And prophets are really this. They're God's mouthpiece to the people. They're his messengers. I like to call them preachers with an attitude on behalf of God. So they didn't actually put them to death. But Jesus' point is this, that the spirit, the attitude, and the heart that calls their ancestors, their, their grandparents, to put these people to death, to resist them, to reject them, to slay them, still lives in the current day experts. It's the current day experts. And not to mention, guys, Jesus really focuses on their hypocrisy here once again. He says you honor the prophets by building them tombs, by having statues, except you reject the message that they preached. You're, you're adding religion instead of taking on the message that they preached. And really, you also reject those who followed them and inherited that message. 
He's saying, look, you're honoring the people in the past that were preaching this and teaching this, but now the people who are doing the same thing now, you're rejecting them. And he's saying, basically, like me, like Jesus is doing. He says, because of this, judgment is coming. You're finishing the work of your murderous ancestors, and you are going to be held responsible. Guys, this is more than just a slap on the wrist. This is a holy and righteous and infinite judgment. And it's not just for the blood of the prophets in olden days, but ultimately for the rejection of God, His messengers, and His message. And the past prophets are people like Elisha and Jeremiah, who's a prophet, not a bullfrog, Isaiah and Ezra, but it's also talking about current with Jesus, His disciples, the apostles, the Word of God, the Bible, and ultimately salvation. Guys, this is an eternal judgment. Jesus is talking about damnation and separation. And I know that's intense. I know that's kind of big idea, but that is what he is talking about. Woe to you experts in the law because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering. Now, it's important for us to see kind of this full context. Guys, the, the experts, the Pharisees, the teachers, they had full access to God's message. They had the key, the master key, man, the, the code sheet to enter into the knowledge of God, a relationship with Him, the, the kingdom of God. But they wasted it. And they squandered it. And, and even more importantly, they hijacked other people's chance to enter into the kingdom and the knowledge of God as well. And we see that's the third thing Jesus rebukes the ex experts for. It's this. They were restricting people from knowing God. They were restricting people from knowing God. And really, guys, this is, this is the culmination of it all. This is what has Jesus hot under the collar. They aren't just missing out on their own. They're not just missing out from the kingdom of God for themselves, which is huge. They're keeping people from the love of God. Guys, there is nothing worse than that. There is nothing worse that we can do on this earth than keeping people from the love of God. I actually got a text from a lady at my previous church last week saying her and her husband were discussing kind of this idea, and they were like, there's, there's nothing worse than keeping people from knowing Jesus. And I'm like, absolutely, it's the, the passage I'm, I'm studying. And guys, we have to see that the misuse of religion, of influence, of power, of rules, and tradition, it keeps people away from God. And we think when reading this, how dare you, Pharisees? How dare you, experts in the law? We say, how dare you, until we realize that you is us. We're the ones that put religious, societal, and political expectations, hurdles, and hoops in front of people for them to get to God. Just like earlier, we expect, we want, we demand people think, act, believe, and ultimately become like us. It could be the songs we sing. It could be the ways we dress. It could be the Bible translation we use, the language we use or, or don't use, our type of culture, our behavior. Guys, I want to be clear. We, we want to be very, very clear. We, we are making it hard for people to come to God. We are making it hard for people to come to Jesus. We, the modern church, modern Christians, our judgment, our rules, our rudeness, our hypocrisy, which is the clear discrepancy of what comes out of our mouth and how we live. All of that that we do in Jesus' name is keeping people from Jesus. And if you're listening today and, and some of this is registering as reasons why it, you're not coming to Christ, why you're not coming to the Lord, I want you to hang on because this is not the real Jesus. This is stupid Pharisees getting in the way of you coming to the Lord. But we as Christians, we as the modern church guys, we're, we're flexing spiritual authority, number one, incorrectly, and number two, we're flexing spiritual authority that we don't have. We're keeping people away from Jesus. We need to stop. You need to stop. I need to stop. We need to stop. Full stop. Let's look at verse 53. Is when Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teacher of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. Now, apparently, Jesus had just ruffled some feathers, and I would say rightfully so. And we see this is the third R that Jesus does in this passage. He receives intense and ongoing opposition. 
And we're going to see this all the way up until he was arrested, crucified, and rose from the dead. And even now his church is still experiencing this today. And what we see here is the Pharisees and the experts do what we do when they're called out. We buck up. We get defensive. And actually we begin to attack. And the word here in the Greek for, for opposing fiercely and to besiege is actually the Greek word aneko, which the NIV, the translation we're using, does a really good job of kind of carrying that meaning, but actually goes even a little bit deeper. It means to, to press against, to hold a grudge, to have it in for someone. It is a very, very hostile feel, which is really, really interesting for guys who were religious for guys who are supposed to lead people to the love of God. Another phrase here that's interesting is that waiting to catch him. Literally, they're, they're setting a trap because Jesus has been labeled the enemy. Why? All because he called him out. All because he was pursuing truth. All because he cared. Which is something that we should expect in our life today too, him calling us out and pursuing truth. Before we get there, I want us to notice something here. And this is really where it kind of comes full circle back to us in our life today. Because if the love of God was truly in these Pharisees and these experts in law, if the love of God was truly within them, they wouldn't have attacked. They wouldn't have attacked Jesus. They, they would have paused. They would have looked deep within. They would have had a little moment of introspection. And they would have seen what was true, repent of it, and then move forward in Jesus. If the love of God was in them, they wouldn't have bucked up. They wouldn't have got defensive. They would have stopped. They'd listened. They'd look within and they would have dealt with what they found. I want to ask you, how many of you have felt a little defensive today or are currently feeling a little defensive? Now, I'm not talking about you're ready to meet me in the parking lot after church on a Sunday, even though I could be the case. Maybe you do feel that way. I'm talking about you, you've kind of begun to have reasons and excuses for your thoughts. Well, well, my way is right. I'm, I'm not these Pharisees. And my religion, my politics, my theology, my thoughts, my tradition, they're all right. Like, I, I need to be defending them. Or maybe you've thought, whew, I'm glad that's not me. I'm not a Pharisee. I'm not an expert in the law. I'm not plundering anybody's soul. Well, if you're any of those I just mentioned or really anywhere in between, which is code for all of us, I don't want us to continue to fall into the trap that the Pharisees and the experts did. I don't want us to miss looking within. I want us to stop today, right here, right now, and look within ourselves and begin to move forward. You're going to see on the screen in just a minute um, a list that Pastor Kevin and I made um, of things that we kind of pulled out from this text that apply to us today. And as you look at this list, I want you to honestly check all that apply. And if you're watching this with someone, then no checking for other people, no, no cheating off of someone else's paper. This is between you and God. But I'm going to walk through this list, and I want you to see, honestly, and which, which one of these am I guilty from? Which ones do I need to stop? Because we're called to not focus on the outside and neglect the inside. That's exactly what the Pharisees do. They focus on the outside that people see, they neglected the inside. We're not called to major on the minors and then claim more high ground. In other words, we're not supposed to, to deal with things in the weeds. We need to keep the main thing the main thing. And sometimes we love the weeds so much because they're so detailed and, and we can kind of use it to control the narrative for ourselves and then we claim to be more spiritual. Not the case. We're not to feed our ego as we starve everyone else. That one shit at home. <laughs> That we're not called to feed our own ego, feed our own self as we starve everyone else. Also, we don't need to underestimate our negative impact. We don't need to underestimate our negative impact. Guys, people are always watching. And if we proclaim one thing with the mouth and live another way, that impact is eternal. Don't underestimate that. Next, we don't need to overburden others and then offer no help with the load. We don't need to expect this religion thing. We don't need to expect people to do things that one, we're not doing ourselves, but two, that we wouldn't help them with anyway. We don't need to overburden people. It is Jesus plus nothing. Let God draw them to himself. And we also don't need to pretend that we're part of really the cause of the problem. Yeah, we, we act like, I'm not the problem. I'm not causing this. Don't pretend like you're not. Quit, quit playing games. We are the issue. We're the one between 
people in Jesus. And lastly, guys, don't selfishly withhold the knowledge that leads to God. Because the Pharisees didn't get to God themselves, but ultimately they kept people from coming to Him. If you're a follower of Jesus, guys, we have the keys to the kingdom. We have the good news. We have the antidote to this thing called sin, this thing called death, this thing called evil, this thing called separation from God. We have the keys to the kingdom, and we need to give it to God. But because we're doing those seven things that we just listed, because we're doing those seven things, we're keeping people away from Him. And I want to be very clear, because we need to deal with those areas. We need to deal with these areas in our life because if we don't, Jesus will. And we see, yes, he exposed hypocrisy. Yes, he judged back in this day. But guys, right now, Jesus is actively exposing hypocrisy. And ultimately, he is going to judge false teaching. Either we bring it to him or we're going to be punished for it. Now, I want to be clear. He offers grace when we bring it to him. But guys, he will not stand for us to keep other other people away from him. He's going to give us grace if we bring it to Him. But if we don't stop, He will not stand for us to keep people away from Him. So whatever you just checked above, whatever in your mind, you're like, yep, that's me, that's me, that's me. Or even if you think it's possibly you, take it to Him. Repent of it right now. Repent is name it, claim it, turn away from it, and run to God. Because if you do, not only is He going to forgive you, because He promises us rest. He promises peace, rest from religion. Rest from anxiety. Rest from, the, I'm going to pull myself up my bootstraps. Rest from the, I got to earn it. I got to do religion so God will love me. He promises us rest. Look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. These are the words of Jesus. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, all you who keep trying to do religion to earn my love, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for what? Your souls. (laughs) Not just your mind, not just your body, for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Guys, if if you know Jesus and you're a follower of Jesus, we have some steps to take today. Number one, we got to own it. We got to own the Pharisee in all of us. We've got to own the expert in law, all of us. We've got to own all that we've done wrong, which means we've got to name it and we've got to claim it. Whatever you've done to be a modern-day Pharisee or modern-day expert, whatever you've done to keep people from Jesus, anytime you've chosen yourself over others, anything from that previous list, we've got to name it, we've got to claim it, and then we've got to run to Him. And as we run to Him, we will receive rest. We'll be able to slow down and we will allow the weight to be lifted. Because the work that you seek to do, the righteousness and the holiness you seek to earn, it's already been done. It's already been given to you guys. That's the beauty of Jesus. That's the beauty of the gospel. That is what it means to follow Jesus. We don't have to earn or do anything. But we get to after we come to Him. So whatever you're doing wrong, whatever obstacle you are, however you're being religious, let it go and run to Jesus. Now, for those of you who are still listening that aren't followers of Jesus, I told you today was for you. One, it was to see Jesus correct us as Pharisees and experts in the law who have kept you from him. And I believe he did pretty, pretty clearly. But today is for you because I didn't want you just to come to a bash session I want you to actually come and see and experience the real Jesus. Because this invitation to come to Jesus is also for you who don't even know Him, who don't, who don't follow Him. And maybe even more so His invitation is for you than for people like me. And don't get me wrong, I know religion has gotten it wrong. I know it's hurt you. I know the church has left you with wounds. And because of that, you most likely have walked away. So I want to invite you, I want to invite you today, I want to invite you to walk back. Not to walk back toward religion, but to Jesus. Not to walk back to church, but to Jesus. I don't want you to walk back to rules. I don't want you to walk back to behavior change. I don't want you to walk back to burdens. I simply want you to walk back to Jesus. And I want to read the passage of Scripture that I just read, Matthew chapter 11. Um, I read it out of the NIV, which is the Bible we preach from, but I want to read it out of what is called 
the message. The guy, Eugene Peterson, I mentioned a while ago, that did a paraphrase of the New Testament that called the Pharisees the stupid fools. Yeah, that guy, he was actually pen pals with Pastor Kevin, which is pretty cool. I want to I want to read it in, in his version, his paraphrase of it, because it puts it in such a clear, understandable, and really approachable way. So these are the words of Jesus. He asked, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Because that's, that's the message of Jesus. That, that is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That all the things, one, we've done wrong, we're forgiven, we're loosed of, but also all that feeling of angst, all that feeling of responsibility, all that feeling of weight, all of that religion, we're free. We're done with it because Jesus has done it all for us. So I want to invite you today to come. To come to Jesus. If you've never come to Him before, come to Him for the first time. Experience real rest of the forgiveness of your sins and peace knowing you're reconciled with God. Or maybe maybe you're like me and you are a follower of Jesus, but man, you have been a Pharisee, maybe a Pharisee for way too long. Run to Him. He isn't looking to judge you or condemn you. If you run to Him, He will forgive you, but then He will give you rest. He'll release you of that burden of religion. He'll release you of that burden of righteousness and holiness. And He will give you the ability to actually live it out. Because if there's one thing I could pray for you here at our church is this, is that you would truly experience Jesus. Yes, it, it is great to try to become a better believer by behaving differently, by listening to podcasts, by reading books. All of, all of that is great, but nothing will ever come close to simply coming to Jesus and being in his presence. Let me pray for you. God, I just want to confess and admit, Lord, that I am a Pharisee. There's a lot of Pharisee in me. And God, I, want to, I just want to ask forgiveness at times. I've been an obstacle for people coming to you. God, I pray that you would still draw those people even though I got in the way. But God, I thank you for the grace of Jesus who invites us not just to leave all the things we've done wrong, but to come into you be reconciled to you and, and to really, really inherit your kingdom, to inherit your righteousness. And God, I pray that today over people who have not made a decision to follow you, that they would do that, that they would surrender to you and they would experience the real rest we have in Jesus. And for God, for people like me, I pray that they would too see the wickedness of their ways. They would see the wickedness of their heart or they would see the dirtiness of the inside of their cup. And Lord, they would run away from it and they would run to you. Father, we thank you for being good. We thank you for sending Jesus. And God, I pray you would allow us to not be an obstacle for people to come to you, but ultimately that you would use us as an opportunity for them to know your love. Father, we love you and we thank you so much. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.